guys can grab a seat. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for joining us online. We're grateful. Um, you know, we are in this series called, you know, I can never forgive them. And we kind of launched into it a little bit last week. And there are some things that we may could never forgive. And we think about those. Some of those are big and some of those are small. But last week we looked at this idea that the foundation of forgiveness, the reason why we forgive is because we've been forgiven. Amen, somebody? Like we, we forgive, forgiven people forgive people. And last week, you know, we talked about God forgiving us. And sometimes when we don't live as forgiven people, we live in insecurity and achievement. And we try to prove ourselves. We want to prove ourselves to each other. We want to prove ourselves to ourselves sometimes. We want to prove ourselves to God. We may want to prove something to our parents. And so that's just the ground that we have, the forgiveness that we have. But today we want to talk about forgiving other people. Like, I don't know about you, but, but I'm pretty good at holding a grudge, aren't you? Come on, somebody. Like, like, I've got a pinched nerve in my neck. I can't even hold my Bible, but I can hold a grudge really strong. I can tell you that. I know how to hold a grudge. I have a friend of mine, we'll talk about uh, the mar- his, the, their marriage, and he'll say, you know, um, I, I, don't get, I don't get hysterical, I get historical. You get it, right? Holding a grudge, man, we, we know what it's like to keep score and to hold a grudge. How many of you uh, maybe either played upward basketball or were parents of up, upward basketball kids way back in the day? You know, there, there was a time when they didn't keep score. And it, it was amazing. It was the ultimate everybody gets a trophy sport. Now, I'm not always for that, but upward basketball was probably okay for that. And they would not keep score. And so you'd go through the game and everybody got to play the same amount of time. Everybody got to, you know, have the same opportunities. And there was no scoreboard in the gym. But you know who kept score? The parents did. The players did. As a matter of fact, I understand that you kept score so well, now they actually keep scoring up for basketball, right? Because we keep score. And what is crazy about upward basketball is that while they weren't keeping score, the kids kept score, and their team always won, no matter which team it was. Man, can I just say that as adults, we sometimes keep score like kids do, don't we? Like sometimes we keep score. We, we keep score of how many times you took out the trash and how many times I took the kids to sports. We keep score about how many times we went out to eat and how many times I cleaned the kitchen. Man, we keep score about how many times I said thank you and how many times I didn't. Like, like are, you the, are you the person that something happens and you, you're always texting and then something happens like, I'm not texting them. Why? Because I always text them. You know why you do that? You're a good scorekeeper. That's why. I always call them. I'm not calling them this time. I always call them. I'm always the one. Look, look at my phone. Listen, there are no received calls, only outgoing calls. I am not calling them. You know why you say that? Because you are a good scorekeeper. You're great at scorekeeping. Man, man we keep scoring so many ways in relationships and friendships at work. Man, we keep score in the news and through social media. We keep score because, because we don't really know how to live a life of forgiveness. We don't, know, we don't know what it means to forgive big things and small things. We're really good at keeping score. And Jesus attacks this head on. We read it in the, in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Where he talks about forgiveness multiple times. And he comes at it with crystal clarity. 
You know, there are so many times Jesus isn't clear about some things. Have you noticed this? Like, I, w- I wish he were more clear. And if I actually thought heaven was going to be a place where I could ask him questions, there would be a few questions on my list. I don't think that's how it goes. But I'm like, Jesus, there are so many things that I need to know about that you were not clear on. What is the deal with dinosaurs, Jesus? I have no idea, right? Like, like couldn't you tell us about that? What about the pandemic? Like, I got, I, I, I got some questions about that. But when it comes to forgiveness, there is no mistake. There is no gray area. There is no confusion. There is no ambiguity. You forgive people. And Jesus says that you need to have this understanding of the work that I've done, the reason why I came, that at every turn, at every moment that I offered forgiveness, it is the foundation of your faith. It is the basis of the movement is that we would forgive people. And what happens when we don't forgive is we turn into people who are bitter and we lead really, really small lives. And we don't live on purpose and we don't have the peace of God in our heart. Man, and we get off track. But he says at every turn, forgive, forgive, forgive. Calls us to live differently. And there's two words we should just wrap our minds around this morning. It's gracious kindness. Gracious kindness kindness gracious coming from the word grace which means something you can't do for yourself you do for somebody what they can't do for themselves kindness just meaning you have their ultimate good in mind you know kind isn't always nice isn't but it's always good for somebody and Jesus calls us to live with gracious kindness and if our culture if our culture needs anything today it needs some people with gracious kindness amen well in a cancel culture well they will not give you the benefit of the doubt for any mistake or any wrong turn, or any, mis- any missaid word, right? We need to know what it means to live with gracious kindness. Hey, this is, what we'll, this is what will mark Christians out as being different. This is how the early Christians were marked as different. This this gracious kindness that they had. And what if we live like that? Hey, can I just jump on my soapbox for a second? Do you know some people who are, 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 have the least amount of gracious kindness? Christians. Do you know that I believe that church people have held people, have held the gospel back from going forward more than atheists have? Because how we treat each other sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Anybody feel that today? Anybody know that today? Anybody feel some bitterness today? I think I just stopped every hand from getting raised, didn't I? I know, I know that I do. I know I'm the biggest problem, man. I, I, can, I can judge you in a heartbeat. Man, I could not forgive you in a heartbeat. I, I'm, I'm really good at keeping score, but God didn't keep score. And I, here's another thing I know. There's some small things we need to stop keeping score on, but there's some big things that have happened in the room. Man, there's been some abuse. There's been some assault. There's been abandonment. been significant betrayal, maybe to the point you haven't even told anybody about. Man, and I, I don't take that lightly, but I do believe this to the depths of my soul that the message of Jesus is that he can free you from bitterness. And if our time together could do that, man, I, I would think, I would think that we won. So let's do that. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to start out in the book of Matthew, Matthew 18, 
Matthew 18. Um, we're going to look at a story uh, with Peter. Peter always has something interesting to say. Uh, and Peter's really good at keeping score. Now, now Jesus has kind of taught them about forgiveness. He's taught them that uh, if someone has something against you, you go to them and say, hey, I'm sorry, you apologize. And that, that if, you, if that happens, then for forgiveness should happen. But watch where Peter tries to take it next level. Peter tries to figure out how are we going to keep score? Since Peter came up and he said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, here's what Peter's doing. In the Old Testament, you had to forgive people three times. It was, a three it was the original three strike in your out rule, right? Strike one, I got to forgive you. Strike two, I got to forgive you. Strike three, I got to forgive you. But ah, strike four, I'm out. I don't have to forgive you. So what Peter is doing, he's like, I'm going to take three. I'm going to look really, really generous. I'm going to look like I am really the best student. I am going to be teacher's pet. I'm going to double it. Three plus three is six. And I'm going to add one, seven. So he's like, Jesus, seven times? Like, is that all we, what if I did it seven times? Do I not win if that's how I keep score? And he goes on, Jesus says this, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, you're at 76 right now. <laughs> now, is Jesus trying to keep score? Does he have a number he has in mind? No. What Jesus is saying is if you are counting, you are not forgiving. Like if you're counting, if you're keeping score, you are not forgiving. And so he wants to paint this picture, not just of an event of forgiving one offense, but a lifestyle of gracious kindness, a lifestyle of forgiveness. And, and, and Jesus makes the basis of this forgiveness in his own work and his own actions on the cross. In Colossians chapter 3, Jesus, uh, Paul writes these words. He says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, in other words, the good for others, humility, consider others better than yourselves, meekness, I'm just going to let you run the show, patience, I'm just going to believe you're going to get there, bearing with one another, one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So, so he's saying the basis for forgiveness is how much we've been forgiven. And what he does is, is he doesn't cheapen forgiveness. He actually raises the price of forgiveness. He's not saying you just throw forgiveness around like Halloween candy. Or it's like the penny that you leave at the cashier where you need a penny, you pick it up. If you have a penny, you leave it. It's not, it's not that. It's not cheap. He raises the price of forgiveness to his own life because Jesus had skin in the game. And, and, and he, here's, here's, an, here's one thing about forgiveness. Have you noticed how much easier it is to not forgive? Easy. It's easy to be bitter. It is easy to hold a grudge because to put it down to release someone to forgive them, you have to admit that you may be right. You may be right, but you may not get what's fair. We like fair, don't we? I love fair. I want life to be fair. My dad used to say this, hey, fair only comes once a, once a year. You get that? Some of you old folks will get that in the room. Like life not fair. We don't get fair. And here's what I've discovered about me and about most people. It's like we want to be treated fairly, 
for us, but we want justice for other people. You notice this? Like, I, I just want to be treated fair. I just want to be treated fair, but man, you need justice because I'm right and you're defective. So I, I, I want justice. And thank God, God doesn't t- treat us at, with fairness. Thank God. Watch what happens in Psalm 103. Psalm 103, David writes this. He says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. In other words, he does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. In other words, he has not treated us with fairness. Forgiveness is the trump card. Forgiveness is the royal flush. It always wins, and that's how God has treated us. Like, let me ask you this. Like, how much have you been forgiven? Like, how much have you been forgiven? Like, if you go through and start counting how you've been forgiven, you don't get it. You, you, you missed it because we can't keep score. Here's the deal. Failing to forgive produces a losing life. We lose every time. We lose it every time when we fail to forgive. In, uh, in, the, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to see some outcomes like what does it look like to lose? What are some of the downsides of keeping score and of failing to forgive? Paul writes this. He says, be angry and don't sin. So there's a righteous anger. Like there are some times you can actually be anger, angry and it's okay. It generally is not during a sporting event, but outside of that, it can be fine. There, there's, today's anger is okay. He, what we're going to find out is yesterday's anger is the problem. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, so first thing that we see when we, when we have unforgiveness, when we harbor bitterness, when we, when we don't give someone the benefit of the doubt, when we don't uh, give to them what God has given us in forgiveness, is we invite the devil into our lives. And we invite the devil to have work in our lives. I know there's this big theological question. Well, can Christians be possessed? I don't know. Listen, that's another question we can ask Jesus later. But he's very clear that if we don't forgive, we're going to have evil influencing in our life. Like, why would you invite that in your life? Think about this. Like, let, let's say you invite me over to, uh, for dinner, for a cookout. And you say, bring a plus one. I'm like, you know, when my wife's out of town, I'm going to bring Dora the demon with me. Okay? And Dora's coming over with me. And Dora's going to come in and Dora's going to eat all your food, drink all your drink, and then burn your house down. And you know what? You invited that. That's what unforgiveness does. We invite destruction into our life. Now, one of the ways that the devil has active, uh, is active in our life is through our thoughts. It's through our thoughts. Have you ever been wronged and you rehearsed the conversation you were going to have with that person in your mind? Anybody? Anybody done this? Right? Like, I know you were wrong. Here's why I'm better than you, because I'm right. And my argument is locked down, locked up, locked tight. There's no way for you to get around it. Now, let me ask you this. How beneficial was that? Like, have you ever had anybody call you and say, hey, I heard you thinking about me and I just want to apologize. I'm sorry. You're amazing. As a matter of fact, you're Jesus. Like, that doesn't happen. But this is what we do. We roll it over and over and over again in our minds. Sometimes I think, sometimes I think Satan invented instant replay. Because, man, I can replay a wrong in my mind at the drop of a hat. 
And that's what we invite into our lives when we don't forgive. You know, another thing um, that we invite into our lives when we don't forgive is it, it has effects on our physical health. You know, there's a study done by the University of Stanford called the Forgiveness Project. And it just talks about all the benefits of, <clears throat> excuse me, forgiveness. And, and, and a major one is the health benefits you get. And so if you want to lose 25 pounds, you should just be more forgiving. Don't worry about keto. That's what it says. If you're a forgiving person, listen, your anxiety level goes down because that's how God wants us to operate. Your level of stress goes down because that's how God wants it to operate. So there's physical effects that happen, but, but, but there's emotional and spiritual effects that happen. So when you don't forgive, you become bitter. You become bitter. Anybody know, any, you know anybody that's bitter? Any time in your life maybe you got bitter? It happens. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul writes this about bitterness. He says, strive for peace with everybody. Like that, that's everybody. Now, you may not have gone far in school, but you know what everybody means, don't you? Strive for peace with everybody, for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no what root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. So this root of bitterness that happens because we have unforgiveness in our heart and we become defiled is what he's saying. We become unworthy to be in the presence of God is what he's saying. Listen, bitterness just clouds our vision. It's like spiritual cataracts. You know, many of us in, in the future, we're going to have cataract surgery. I can remember when Debbie's grandmother had cataract surgery. She was in her 80s. And after surgery... She got back in the car and started driving. She says, I've never been so terrified in my life to finally see all the cars on the road. <laughs> and unforgiveness, man, it clouds our vision. And if we're honest, we don't really want to see the truth, do we? Because we are right. And bitterness just manifests itself in so many ways. Bitterness clouds your vision but forgiveness clears your vision. And this is the way out of a life of bitterness. And we bring anger and bitterness into every relationship, every experience, every situation. Have you ever read an email from someone and you knew that person is bitter? You ever had a conversation with somebody? And you thought, why are they so miserable? They got daddy issues. That's what you say. Because it just has a way of boiling over. It has a way of getting in. It has a way of always showing up bitterness. It shows up in our communication. It shows up in our email. It shows up in our uh, relationships. It shows up in our marriage. It shows up in our marriage. Man, and we get offended when we're bitter, but just the small things. It doesn't matter. Like little things get on our nerves, get under our skin a little bit, and we just begin to complain. Have you noticed this? Like, there are so many things that, that I find myself complaining about, get bitter about, like little things. H have you ever had this happen? Like, let's say you're on the side of the road or you're at a, a red light and there's a crosswalk and you let someone cross over the crosswalk even though they don't have the white person that they can, you know, the white light blinking where they can go across. And you let them go because you're so godly and kind, right? And what happens is they just take their time and they're just strolling across. And, and I'm like, what are you doing? Don't you know without my holiness, you'd still be on the side of the road right now? 
Like you, you would probably get hit by, you'd be planning your own funeral if it wasn't for me. Right? And it's, it's small things where we see bitter. Have you ever been at a table at a restaurant and heard someone talking to a server with just the most anger and frustration and just meanness to them? You ever had that happen? They're, they're bitter. And they're taking it out on someone who can barely make ends meet. If you've ever been to the airport, you, I know you've seen it. Flight gets delayed and people lose their mind. At the gate agent, who controls the world and can handle it? <laughs> Bitterness. And it just bubbles up in our lives and holds us back. Happens in marriage. Man, we, we assign blame to everything, always looking for a fight. And what the problem with bitterness is nothing's ever your fault, so you can't fix anything. You completely give charge of your life to your circumstances and to other people who you don't like, and you already think they're defective. And you just say, hey, here, you run my life because we're bitter and we have unforgiveness in our heart. Like I was this last week, there was this one day I started trying to count the number of times Debbie overlooked to eat the small things in my life, and I lost count. Like it was just so many times one little thing can happen, you know, one little word said with the wrong tone, one wrong angle of seeing something and what happens, man, it, turns into this, it can turn into this big blow up. Listen, you don't stay married if you get offended at the little things. All married people say amen in the room, amen. right? So we live with this bitterness that happens and it doesn't make anything better. Like nobody has ever come up to you and says, you know, my marriage is so good because we're so bitter. Everything's better. We love complaining at each other, nipping at each other's heels all the time. As a matter of fact, we were having a good day with no complaining, and we found something to complain about. <laughs> Man, no, nobody does that. You know, it eats away at your soul is what bitterness does. Proverbs 19.11 says this. It just says, good sense makes one slow to anger. Slow to anger. It's the glory to overlook an offense. It's a, it is glory to overlook an offense. Somebody should tell this to Washington. Hello? Or Hollywood. Come on. Bitter people, their lives are small. They're unhealthy. Man, it, and their relationship with God is broken. How sad. And that's over small things. Hey, what about big things? Because there's some big things that aren't as simple as a crosswalk or a server at a restaurant. And there's some abuse that's happened. And there's betrayal that happened. Maybe your roommate stole something from you or a business partner embezzled money. You know, maybe a spouse was unfaithful or a child ran away. Like, like there are things that happen that are just devastating. Like, and so how do, how do we forgive those? And are we supposed to forgive those? We are, because why? Because it's going to hold us back. You know, the first thing that we should notice is that forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is not forgetting. Now, we think we, if something happens that God can forget, that we should be able to forget, we, we, we can't forget. There, there are some things that are so difficult and so harsh and so painful that we'll never forget. Now, there are so many things we should forget, hello, right? But, but there are some things that are so big that, that we may never forget them, but we get to choose where they live. We get to choose where they live. There, there's 
God may not erase the memory from your mind completely, but he will erase the intensity of the pain. So, so think about it this way. There are some things at your house that are front and center, right? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's on your dining room table, you have an arrangement in the middle, or maybe it's on your mantle, you have something special up there that every, you see it all the time when you come in. Like you go in my office, I've got some quotes hanging up. I see them all the time, but you know what? I also have some stuff in my attic. Anybody got some stuff stored in their attic? Three of us. Yeah, in the last service, in the last service, I'm not joking. I saw three guys holding their wives' hands up in the air. I'm like, dude, you need some confession. Um, you are bitter. Uh, but we, I put some stuff in the attic. And here's the thing. The stuff in the attic, I know it's there. I don't think about it all the time. I, when I go up in the attic, I'll remember, oh, yeah, I have that. And this can happen. That some things happen to us. And while we may not completely forget it, the pain will be minimized. But also we get to choose where it lives. And it doesn't have to always live front and center in our lives. And this is the, the work of God. When we begin to forgive and we make this choice to forgive, when we begin to release somebody and we begin to live in gracious kindness, we get to choose where it lives. Like, is there something right now that's living in your dining room that needs to be in the attic? Like, is there something you're thinking about more than you should? Is there something you haven't forgiven someone of? And who's it holding back? It's holding you back. Forgiving, it's not always forgiving, but it, forgetting, but it is choosing. It is choosing where the offense lives. It's also not minimizing. It's not minimizing the offense. It's not saying, ah, no big deal. Ah, it happens to everybody. It's not minimizing the offense. Forgiving someone is saying it mattered. Hey, listen to me. What happened to you? Man, man it mattered. What happened to you? It mattered. What happened to you was painful, and you didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Because you'll begin to wonder, like, what sin did I commit? What did I do wrong? You did nothing. It was somebody else's sin that caused it, not yours. It mattered. Hey, listen, God cares about that. God cares about that. So, so, so what happens is I don't minimize it, but I stop looking at the one who hurt me, and I start looking at the one who can heal me. This is the gospel, guys. Like I love Jesus for her sermon when he stands up and he says, I've come to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to heal the brokenhearted. Because people are broken by other people. And this is the power of the gospel that Jesus came. And, and so don't minimize it. The, the first step to, be, to forgiving somebody is to actually say that it mattered. Because if it didn't matter, nothing to forgive. And you, won't, you shouldn't think about it anymore. But the reason you can know it matters is because you do. Hey, don't minimize what happened to you. God cares. Shift the focus from the one who hurt you to the one who can heal you. Hey, forgiveness isn't dependent on their response. It's not dependent on them, right? Because forgiveness isn't always about, isn't about the other person always. Sometimes it's about me. It's about me being free. It's about me not being held in bondage. Someone doesn't have to walk up to me and say, hey, will you forgive me for that, for offending you, for lying to you, for betraying you, for rooting against your team, right? You don't, someone doesn't have to come and say that to us before we can forgive them. We forgive them because it's what God has told us to do, independent of their response and reaction. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Corey Tim Boom. Anybody heard of Corey Tim Boom, The Hiding Place? If you haven't read the book, you should. 
powerful life, Corey Tim Boom. Corey Tim Boom and her family hid Jews from Nazis in uh, Second World War. Over 800 people made their way through their house till eventually they were found out and they were captured and they were taken into a concentration camp in Ravensbrück. Corey's sister Betsy died there, and she and Corey endured all of the abuse and the heinous crimes that happened to prisoners in the camp. But afterwards, she was making a tour talking about forgiving your enemies. And there was one particular event that she was at in Holland where she was in 1947, where she was saying, you know, God takes your sin and throws them into the deepest sea for them never to be recovered. And, and as the, as the speech began to kind of dissipate and the crowd began to move out, there was this one guy that starts walking towards her and she recognized him. He was the guard who was there when she first got to Ravensbrook where she undressed and paraded around and was abused. She recognized this guard coming toward her. What is she going to do? And the guard walks up to her and says, hey, I was a guard at Ravensbrook. You really believe in forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And he, oh, he sticks his hand out to shake her hand for forgiveness. Now, he didn't recognize her, but she was able to say, I forgive you and shake his hand. Why? Because she'd already forgiven him. She didn't wait until he asked. She was already free of that. And maybe for you, there's somebody you need to forgive. They're never going to respond the way you want. Hello? You're not going to fix them. They're not going to agree with you. They're not going to say, yeah, you were right. I was wrong. That, that's, that's not going to happen. And that doesn't give us permission to not forgive. Because when we don't, what are we doing? Holding ourselves hostage. As the old saying goes, forgiveness is setting the captives free and realizing that captive was me. It's not dependent on their response. It also isn't always reconciliation, right? It takes two people to come back together. It takes one to say, yes, I offended. It takes another to say, I forgive you. And there may be some healthy boundaries that need to be set up. Sometimes, sometimes forgiveness is used as more ammunition for abuse. You know what I'm talking about? You should forgive me, and then you set yourself up again for abuse. That doesn't mean you don't have healthy boundaries. doesn't mean there's not distance. There doesn't mean there's not other things put in place. It doesn't always mean that reconciliation happens because reconciliation is two people. Forgiveness is just me and God forgiving you. It's not always reconciliation because it is for me. I love this story that happened just two years ago. You guys may remember in the in, uh watching this in the news, that in, in Dallas, Texas, there was a police officer that walked into an apartment that she thought was hers but wasn't. And so when she went in, she shot someone who was in that apartment. So she shot and killed a man who was in his own home. No reason at all. She, is on, she gets put on trial, she gets convicted, and then she's sentenced. And after the sentencing, this man's brother was on the stand to testify. And he looked over at her and he says, I forgive you. And he goes on to tell why he forgave her because that's the only way he could live a life of freedom. And then he asks the judge, could I give her a hug? And he walks over and gives this murderer of his brother a hug. And he was free. Like that's what true freedom looks like and forgiveness. It was for him. You know, true forgiveness is not public, but it's personal. Have you ever seen anybody apologize on Facebook? I forgive you, you moron. 
And public apologies, Facebook apologies, you know what they are? Apologies, bitterness disguised as an apology. It's just more bitterness. Could we just mature beyond social media communication at some point? Do we have to always feel like every thought that comes out of our brain goes into social media? The reason we do that is because we're too cowardly to do it face to face. I wouldn't plan on saying that. Let me keep going. (laughs) Hey, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a process of faith. It's not a feeling. Listen, there are days you would feel like forgiving somebody. There are most days you wouldn't. There's most days you probably feel more like fighting. Most days you probably feel more like being bitter. There's most days you feel more like holding it against them. Or, Or most days feel like just not dealing with it at all. But what we see in the Bible is this, this choice that we make. It's a choice that's fueled by faith because only God could come in and step in for us to, to experience the forgiveness of some of the things that we need to forgive people for. What does it look like? How do we know if we forgive? And that's the question, right? Like, I've got this thing or this person or this bitterness. Like, how do I know if I forgive? And if you look in Romans chapter 12, it says this, Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I don't always like that part, do you? Like, don't you want vengeance? Don't you want retribution? Don't you want them to pay? Jesus, God says, I got it. He says this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Not meaning you'll destroy him, but meaning he will come to his senses. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Like that's gracious kindness right there. How do you live that kind of life? You want to know if you've forgiven someone? Can you do that? Can you bless them? Can you hope for their good and not their destruction? My wife likes to say it like this, kill with kindness. I don't know if that's really the way it's supposed to go. But that is exactly what we see here. Gracious kindness. Gracious kindness. Like, Who is it for you? Who offended you? Or is it just this general level of bitterness that your life hasn't turned out like it should have? And maybe, maybe you're blaming God for that. Maybe you're holding a grudge against God or maybe it's against another person. And I want to close out with two quick stories from the Bible. One is about Joseph, the greatest example of forgiveness that we can see outside of Jesus. Joseph was a teenager and he's telling his brothers about how much better he is than they are and that one day he's going to rule over them. So his brothers have a natural response. They, they sell him into slavery, kind of extreme. And so Joseph's brothers, they sell him into slavery. And then, man, while Joseph is in slavery, he just continues to rise up above his circumstances. And he becomes, you know, in charge of his master's house. And then he's betrayed again, thrown in prison. But he just rises above his, he rises above his circumstances till eventually he becomes second in command to the nation, in the nation of Egypt during a famine. And he's in charge of feeding everyone that comes his way. So guess what? Guess who shows up at his doorstep needing food? His brothers, his parents. And so they don't recognize him, but he sees who they are. And he tests them a little bit before he trusts them. 
And then he brings them into his family, brings them into his house. He takes care of all of them. But then dad dies. Now his brothers get a little bit nervous when dad dies. And so they come to him and they're like, hey, Joseph, dad told us to tell you that you should forgive us. <laughs> Wild. Here's what Joseph said. Am I in the place of God? Like, am, am I in the place of God that, that you would need my forgiveness? And sometimes I think I have to ask myself that question when I hold a grudge. Am I in the place of God? Hey, are you? Are you in the place of God? Like, who was it? Is there a name that comes to mind, a picture, an image, an event? Is it just this level of bitterness that you see spewing out of your email and your phone call and your relationships and your friendships? In the book of Acts, there's a story of a guy named Stephen. Stephen was a mighty man of faith. And Stephen is stoned for following Jesus. He's in the middle of some religious leaders. And they begin to stone him. And, and as he's being stoned, Stephen says this. Just don't hold this sin against them. Bloody, beaten, broken bones, pain, agony. He says, don't, don't hold this sin against them. And it says he looks up, and in heaven, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, what's unique about this in the Bible is that the other times that you see Jesus in heaven, he's sitting down. But when he's looking at Stephen, he's standing up. You see, you see, judges sit for judgment, but advocates stand up to help. So in that moment when Stephen is forgiving his enemies, Jesus stands up and cheers him on. Way to go, Stephen. You, you got it. I got you now. You're going to be okay. Like, don't you want that? from the Lord, like what would that feel like for God to affirm your gracious kindness? Let's pray together. Let's take a moment just to still our hearts, our minds, focus our attention. And I have gone five minutes late, but I want you to know this moment's too important to get in a hurry. So for some people, there's something in there, man, you just haven't let go of. You've held on to, you've held on to that grudge. You have kept score. You were wronged. And it's true. It mattered. It's painful. Uh, but God wants you to forgive today. It's holding you back. If you want to experience the peace of God, the purpose of life, man, and a pathway to your future, it's going to come through forgiveness today. You know, for some of you, you've never experienced forgiveness with God. And so I just want to help you with that right now in just a few moments. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer to just acknowledge that you need forgiveness and that he will forgive you. And it's going to put you on the pathway to forgiving other people. So just repeat after me, dear God, I have sinned. I need your forgiveness. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven and I will follow him today.
You know, and the Bible teaches us that in those, that moment that supernaturally God does something in our heart, he regenerates our soul, we become a new person. And I just want to help you with, to mark the moment today with that happening. And, and the way that we mark that moment here is just by raising our hands. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to three, and nobody's looking around, but for you, this will be monumental in your pathway and your freedom today to worship God just by raising your hand. If you prayed that today for the first time to follow Jesus, I'm going to count to three and just invite you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Yep. That's awesome. And now just for forgiveness, Lord, that we be a people marked by gracious kindness. God, that we would, man, give the benefit of the doubt and we wouldn't take opportunities to criticize and complain and moan about things that don't really matter anyway. God, that our communication, our emails, our conversation would be life-giving. God, they would be full of grace, helping people with things they don't have, God, and kindness to be for their good, God. Lord, that we wouldn't live with any bitterness or malice or anger, God, that we'd just be free and that people would look at us and say, that's different. What do you got? Like, why are you like that? Who has changed you, God? We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we just want to close out just with one last worship song today. And I'm going to say invite you. Sometimes it's good to just be able to express something, to let go of something. So what I would say is as we're singing today, if there's something in your heart you need to let go of, I would just invite you to come kneel down here just as an act of worship, as an act of just letting something go to God. So if you would, let's stand together and let's worship.